And then, Lord, I pray for grandparents here that they would take up the shield of faith in teaching the faith to their grandchildren, that they would be a, an example of what it means to be a godly man, a godly woman, to walk in the fear of the Lord. I pray they will have unique opportunities to speak about Jesus to their grandchildren, that you would open up hearts that are closed and you would open up doors that are slammed shut. And they would, they would have the wisdom and the counsel of God to walk right through those doors and to speak to the deepest parts of the hearts of their grandchildren and to bring them into a living relationship with Jesus. We pray today for, our, for the grandchildren represented here. We pray that they will all know you. They'll all walk with you. They'll all be born again of the Spirit of God. So, Lord, hear our prayers. Hear our prayers for our nation, for our our veterans, for our military, for our grandparents. We bless them, for our grandchildren. Lord, so many things on our hearts today. Thank you that we can bring all of these concerns before you and take your peace and your rest in exchange. We again state our faith in you, our trust in you. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. You are our Lord and we are a blessed people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've got a, a great special speaker today. We have James Poole, who is one of our elders here at Highland, but he pastored for many years, and he is the head of One Cry Intercessories, the director of the intercessory side of One Cry, which is a revival movement. And so, James, you can describe yourself further if you would like. We're so honored to have you with us. Thank you, sir, for coming. Good morning. I think the best way to describe myself is I'm a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I think that's the best title any of us can claim. I want to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Psalm 5. I appreciate uh, Janet and Reuben and their heart for the Word of God. And I appreciate the fact that you want to be a people who love the Lord by knowing His Word and living His Word. You know, application is so critical in this day and age. We have a lot of people who are very fat-headed spiritually, but their limbs are weak because we are not walking out the Word of God. And so if we come this morning without the heart that says, Father, would you show me how to apply your Word, then we're missing I believe a very important part of why we're here. Uh, we, we need to become a people, not just to know the Word, but who live the Word. And so even as we look at the songbook today, we want to trust God to show us some practical applications about how we can live out the Word of God. You know, one way we can use the Psalms is in prayer. Uh, it's a great prayer guide. As a fact, matter of many of the, many of the Psalms are prayers themselves. And they were prayers that were sung to the Lord. And we're going to be looking at one of those today. And before we get into the Word of God, I'd like for us just to pause again and pray and ask God to show us how we can apply this in our lives. Now, we're going to be doing a number of things today. We're going to be memorizing a verse today. Are y'all very good at memorizing? No. I'm going to teach you a verse, and we're going to memorize it today. And so I want to pray that God would just open our minds 
and uh, allow us to have what we need to memorize some of his word together, which will be fun today. So let's go to the Father in prayer. Father, we come in the mighty name of Jesus. We're so grateful for your word. I'm grateful for those in this room who hunger and thirst to know you better. And Lord, we're grateful that you've given us your word so that we can experience you and have relationships with you that are alive and real, that apply to every aspect of our lives. Now, I pray that even today, your Holy Spirit would just teach us all that we need to, to know about walking out this Christian faith. And Lord, I'm so grateful for Jesus. So grateful that through his sacrificial love for us, we could have an eternal, personal love relationship with you. And so, Lord, we're here today because we want that love relationship to go deeper. We want very much for you to be pleased, not just with what we know in our heads, but what we walk out and speak every day of our lives. And Lord, help us never to get to the place where we don't want to keep growing in that love relationship. Lord, we're so grateful for you and grateful for even Psalm 5 today. May you allow it to come alive in our hearts and may, as it has been for the Hebrews and many others through the years, Lord, may it be our morning prayer today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to teach you a verse at the very beginning today. And when we get to it later in this passage, then we'll, we'll quote it together again. Now, we're going to learn it by song. Do you know a good way to learn Scripture is by putting it to music? And there was a verse, uh, verse 3 in this psalm, that stood out to me years ago when I was just a young guy. And I thought, okay, I really want to learn this. So I just made up a little tune. And with a little tune, it made it so easy just to learn this. Now, I'm going to sort of, I'm not sure what translations you have. Uh, I'm going to sort of go back probably to King James a little bit. I'm going to use the word thee instead of you in this psalm. So let me, let me just, I'm going to sing it to you, okay? And I'm going to teach you this little song. If you could just listen along and, and we'll learn this little song together. You can look at verse 3. It goes, In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch Psalm 5, verse 3. <laughs> okay, you even get the reference point. So let's, I'm going to sing it again. As you look at it, I want you to try to sing with me. We're learning a song today. And y'all are choir people. I've heard you sing before. How many were in the choir at some point in your life? Oh, yes. Okay, this should be easy for you. So we're just learning it by rote, like the Hebrews often did. So I'm going to sing it again, and I want you to just sing along with me as you can. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch Psalm 5, verse 3. Oh, you did very well for first attempt. Let's try it again. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch Psalm 5, verse 3. That's great. You know, when this was originally sung, this psalm, it actually had loud uh, sounds and then diminished sounds. So that high point in that 
Psalm 5, verse 3. It actually goes with the way this psalm was initially sung. So let's try it again. Ready? Everybody, you're doing great. Louder this time. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch Psalm 5, verse 3. That was really good. Now, if I were a choir director, any choir directors in the room from the past? I know we, we've, okay, thank you. You probably do it one more time just to make sure we had it, okay? I want you to look at me, if you can, without looking at your Bibles, because this is a memory uh, trial. So here we go. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, you will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch Psalm 5, verse 3. Now, when we get to this in our study, we're going to sing it together again. Is that okay? All right, so we're going to leave here with Scripture memorized today, all of us. And for you guys who don't like to sing, thank you for attempting it. I appreciate it. And it is an easy way to learn Scripture. If you ever have a passage that you need to have in your heart, uh, make up a tune. And just say, God, give me a tune with this song. And uh, a lot of times it sticks in our hearts if we make it up and, and see it in the Word. Now, in Psalms, there are five books in the Jewish Psalter. And I'm so glad that Reuben and Janet uh, have chosen to focus on Psalms 1 through 41. And that was actually the very first book of five in the Psalms. I'm, sure, I'm sure you're aware of that. Uh, if we came to church today and we wanted to study different Psalms, we'd have to carry five books with us. Uh, instead of just one like we have now. And so originally these were five different books of songs that they sung. Uh, 1 through 41 is the first set of books. The second is verse 42 to 72. Then there's 73 to 89. And then the fourth one is 90 to 106. And the fifth is 107 to 150. And as you look at the Psalms, many times the Psalms uh, fall into different categories. And sometimes those categories define that Psalm. Uh, one of praise, one of adoration, uh, maybe one of crying out for help. And they're all different kinds of Psalms you find in Scripture. This Psalm became known as the morning prayer because that is its focus it was a prayer that could be prayed in the morning. And certainly a number of, of Hebrews probably sang this to the Lord in the morning. Now, is it good to pray in the morning? Amen. It's a great thing to do. To have our focus on the Father, the very first thing when we get up. And to be able to speak to Him and listen to Him and have communion with Him and to worship Him and to praise Him. And if that's not your routine, I hope you'll ask the Lord to change your thinking. You know, we often think about the last thing that we thought of the night before. If you watch a movie late at night, guess what you often think about the next morning? The movie. If you watch a ball game, guys, the night before... Often when you get up in the morning, stats are in your mind or the best play is in your mind. And it's so important for us to learn that at night, as well as in the morning and actually throughout the day, we are to have holy communion with the Father. And the Psalms 
are one of the great tools God's given us to be able to do that. So I hope this will be a, uh, a day of encouragement to not just hear it on Sunday, but to read it, to pray it, to sing it before a holy God who loves us. And all throughout my Christian life, I have never gotten away from the Psalms. In my devotion in the morning, I always seem to find my way to the Psalms. Now, again, I've spent many times in other passages, uh, but these just seem to lay such a foundation for us of worship and praise and adoration and connection. Those psalmists who wrote these psalms were very connected relationally with God. And you know, everything about Christianity is relational. Amen. I found that to be true. Uh, we start with a relationship with God. And then we have relationship with His children. And we have relationships with people outside the body of Christ that we are to love and minister to and care for. And, and so it's totally relational. And I hope you'll think of that as we get into this psalm. Now, I think that what we have at the top of the page is also sometimes important for us to see. And I'm speaking out of the New American Standard translation today. And it says, for the choir director. So here's a psalm for a choir director and some instruction for that choir director and it says, um, actually, for flute accompaniment. And I think in Hebrew, that's probably, and you can correct me, uh, Rosses, but it's Nehaloth. And that's only found in Psalm 5, where it says for flutes. And actually, it was, uh, that word was probably derived from the word that means to bore or to perforate. And so the Hebrews had instruments, probably of wood, where they had drilled it out and drilled holes in it. And that's what we know as flutes. And so this is a psalm that was to be accompanied by flute. And if you keep looking deeper into that word, you can sort of envision how they first sang this. Because the sound that's implied here, even with this word, is that of trilling. Did anybody play the flute? Okay. Or, and you can trill with your voice or on the piano, but it's that sound that goes back and forth, back and forth. La, 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 la. That kind of sound, only two different tones going back and forth. And you almost have, when you have a bunch of people who are playing the flutes in a setting like this, it almost sounds like a hive of bees. And with the Arabs' use of this word, that's actually what it's described as, a swarm. And so if you can envision the music behind this psalm, it's a bunch of flutes that are trilling together, and it almost sounds like a hive of bees. And even nature itself is used in exalting Almighty God. And so we don't have a, a room full of flute players today, but if we did, it would be loud and it would be glorious and joyful. And it would be exciting to be able to sing this song. And so the choir master had that instruction. Get your flutes out, he would say to those who are worshiping. And let's trill unto the Lord. And uh, it's also a psalm of David. And so much great content came from his heart as he just sat in the presence of Almighty God and exalted him in the relationship he had with him. Well, let's begin. We see two parts, uh, verses 1 through 3, 
and 7 through 8, uh, especially. And then the last part of the psalm, 11 and 12, they talk about a prayer of deliverance for the godly. And in the middle of these, these two bookends, which is a prayer for deliverance for the godly, you find a prayer really that talks about the destruction of the wicked. And so we're going to look first of all at the verses that describe prayer for deliverance of the godly. In verses 1 through 3 it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Heed the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I'll order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Well, what was his petition here? To whom does the psalmist pray? To whom does David pray? David was calling upon Yahweh in this setting. And he called upon him alone for help. Now, Another word for uh, groaning is meditation. And so here you find David saying, Oh, Father, would you hear my words? And he does that in a meditative way. And the only other place that word for meditation or groaning is found is in Psalm 39, verse 3. And it denotes the unspoken prayer of the heart, the low murmuring utterance of, of brooding sorrow. That verse says in Psalm 39, verse 3, My heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burned. Well, those words create a lot of imagery, don't they? <laughs> while I was musing, the fire burned. And so when David came before the Lord, I, I appreciate so much just the word choice here. Because it was coming before the Lord with great passion and really with, with deep concern. And why was he concerned? A lot of people wonder as to the timing of this in David's life. And it probably fell right before uh, his conflict with Absalom. And it also appears that he was maybe in Jerusalem at this time. You know, David had enemies. They were all around. And, and I find it so interesting that as Christians... When we take a stand for God, the one true God, when we take a stand for Christ, there's always persecution. Have you noticed that? We've been very blessed, and in our generation, we've not faced a whole lot of it. But you know, times are sure changing. Even now in the United States, we're facing more persecution than perhaps we've ever faced in our lifetimes. And it's coming sometimes from within the church itself where the church is departing from God's Word, they're departing from the one true God, they're departing from a knowledge of Him, a relationship with Him, okay? And that's where persecution often comes, where people don't have a relationship with the one true God. They may have some knowledge of who He is or what He is about or even what is found in Scripture. But the relationship is not there. And so when a person really lives out the Word of God and takes a stand for Christ, guess what? the persecution comes because it makes people feel uncomfortable. And we've always experienced conflict from the adversary. David was familiar with conflict. Anytime he took a personal stand for God, and, and certainly of a lot of the Old Testament writers, 
David was one who had this, this passion. I don't think David could exist without speaking passion, living passionately, and demonstrating it in his life. And so he would bump up against people, and there would be conflict, and there would be struggle. And so, hence the use of the word groaning. Consider my groaning. And this is a heavy load uh, to face persecution. It's, it's a challenging thing when you know somebody wants to kill you. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a country today where if you're a believer, somebody may want to kill you? And there are a lot of countries even in the news these days. Afghanistan, Pakistan, other places in that part of the world where if you're a believer, it's almost like you have a, a target on your back. And they are in the middle of religions that see it as very holy to kill somebody who doesn't believe the same way they do. How would you like to be in that setting? David was there. It's like today's news is where David lived. And so his prayer is filled with deep groaning and, and deep concern. Verse 2, it says, Heed the sound of my cry for help, my king and my God. In that phrase, cry for help, there are a lot of passages in Scripture, a ton that have the word cry, but this is the only place in Scripture where this word for cry is used. It's just used one time in this psalm. And David is expressing this deep need. Lord, I'm, I'm coming to you groaning. I'm passionate about this request. And you know, does God welcome that kind of request? Oh, yes. But you know, sometimes that's the only way some people pray is when they're in a crisis and they've got a need. David had a relationship beyond that. He had the kind of relationship where his prayer, I believe, was heard because he prayed so often. It wasn't just in a moment of crisis. It wasn't when somebody was just knocking on his door with a threat of coming in to kill him. But it was because he often conversed with the Father. He heard God's voice, and God knew him and recognized his voice. And if we're going to be a praying people, that's the way it ought to be. Not just when the, the pressure of the moment arrives, but all the time. This was one of those pressurized moments. So he said, heed the sound of my cry, my king and my God, for to you I pray. And I think some people would look at this passage and say, God's our focus. Now, we find people praying all kinds of things these days. Uh, sometimes people in other parts of the country pray to animals. They pray to trees. They pray to things they've made with their own hands. And yet there is only one true God. And this class can say amen to that, can't you? <laughs> and you know him. And he knows you. If you're a born-again, called believer, there is that personal relationship where communication takes place. So heed the sound of my cry for help. Now also in our culture, I just want to underscore the fact that it's very easy for us to just assume that God hears us. And I've mentioned that once before in this class when I taught a long time ago, Reuben, if I'm not mistaken, in that we just assume that God hears every prayer. Does God hear every prayer? 
Thank you. You must have listened during that time I taught before. God doesn't hear every prayer. Would somebody look up or quote Psalm 66, verse 18 for us? Carl, can you look that up for us? Psalm 66, verse 18. I want you to come up and read it to us, if you don't mind. Psalm 66, verse 18. You can turn there in your Bibles if you don't mind. Thanks for being on the spot. Yeah, sure. Good job. I like this younger generation. It's just all right here. And it's quick. Psalm 66, 18. I'm putting him on the spot. Check, check. Great. Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Amen. Now will you look up this verse? Well, I'm speaking about that. Matthew 6, 7. Go for it. If we regard iniquity in our heart, sin, does God hear us? No. And the Old Testament patriarchs understood that. They understood that they were coming into the presence of a holy God and that they could not expect to be heard if they were bringing unrighteousness into that setting. And so all throughout the Psalms and in many other places in the Old Testament, you hear this humility that says, Lord, would you hear my prayer? Not to presume that you will be heard. Now we're very blessed as Christians and that we have a relationship with God through Jesus. And yes, we can boldly enter the throne room of God, not in our own merit, but in the merit of Jesus. Amen? And so we're very different than some of those Old Testament patriarchs in that we have one who intercedes for us, who stands in the gap on our behalf, who welcomes us into the throne room of God through His own precious blood and His resurrection and His power. But still, even knowing Jesus, we should practice the same humility that David had in saying, Lord, would you hear my prayer and do so very humbly. Also in Matthew 6, verse 7. Matthew 6, verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Yeah. How many times do we just get into a prayer time where there's no passion, there's no heart like David had, there's no fervency of crying out to God? We just say the same old thing. How about at a mealtime, your blessing? How about in church services? I remember as a little child, I used to hear these guys that would go forward and pray in church, and I knew what they were going to say before they got up. And I just wondered, okay, I've heard that many, many times, and I could almost pray along with them because it wasn't relational like David's praying was. It didn't come out of their heart connection. It just came out of what they had prayed in the past, a rote type of praying. And thank you, Carl, so much. And if our prayers are just meaningless repetition, do you think God hears? No. He doesn't, according to Scripture. Also, James 1, 6 through 8, if we don't have faith, He doesn't hear. If we pray prayers that are that are faithless. It says, don't even expect that God should hear your prayer. James 4, 3, we pray with wrong motives. Does God hear us? If we have selfish motives instead of really focusing on God and His will, 
We should even expect God to hear our prayer. Also in 1 Peter 3, 7, if we're not honoring our wives, men, should we expect God to hear our prayers? So here is the humility. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Today's message to Reuben. No. <laughs> so if we come before God just flippantly and we, we aren't focused as David was with this passion of heart, we shouldn't even expect God to hear our prayer. And so even in this psalm, in David's example of passionate relational praying, we're seeing the kind of humility that says, oh God, you alone have the answers for my need. And I'm not just coming in expecting you to give what I asked for, but I very humbly am coming before you and I'm asking for your deliverance. I'm asking for your protection. I'm asking for your help. I'm asking for you. Great lessons, even in this song, that come out of David's <clears throat> heart. Now, <clears throat> as we go on, it says in verse 4, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. And that is one of my favorite verses. Because as I appeal to God, as I come before Him, we've got to recognize that as we move into His throne room, that there is no evil there. And when we try to come into the throne room of God and we're carrying in our hearts disobedience, unrepentant sin, where we've not humbled ourselves and confessed our sin and purposed to repent, receiving God's power to do so, we need to realize God doesn't hear unless it is a repentant prayer. How many times have we brought into that holy throne room of God unrepentant attitudes? Maybe we're mad at somebody. Have you ever tried praying when you're mad at somebody? We do it. You ever tried praying when there's something you know that God's convicted you of, but you've never changed your ways and you've not repented? We do it. It's amazing how many times uh, people just blurt out an, a prayer relationship. And it's so important even here for us to understand. And I think David understood it. You don't take pleasure in wickedness because in your presence no wickedness dwells. So how can I come before you this morning if I've not repented? How can I come before you and, and ask you to hear my prayer and then watch to see what your answer is if I've not repented? If I have not dealt with my relationship, how can I pray for needs to be met? So many times I think God maybe just shakes his head at us. Because here we are as a disobedient child and we come with needs that are great in our minds, but we've not dealt with the relationship. It's like a child that's disobeyed his parents who wants the car. Were you there in the past ever? This child wants to go to a movie. He wants to go, needs money. When the relationship is not right, and what does the father focus on? He focuses on the relationship first. 
David knew that. He said, I can't come into this, this presence of a holy God where no wickedness dwells <clears throat> and drag sin into, my, into God's presence. And we've got to understand that when we pray that we need to many times start by getting our hearts right, humbling ourselves, repenting, and not just offering up lip service to God. God knows when we're just, we're just lipping to Him. I'm not sure that's a word. When we're just uh, saying something to Him with no willingness to change our ways. I don't know if any of you have stubborn ways. And don't answer, Janet. <laughs> no, yeah, don't, don't point and answer for Ruben. Uh, <laughs> we've got to realize that God's always calling us to walk in His holiness. And if we keep praying in the morning or evening or noon without dealing with our sin, we shouldn't expect to be heard or have answers come our way. Now, down in verses... Um, Seven and eight, it says, But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. O Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. He says, Because of your loving kindness, because of your opening the door for me to be able to communicate with you, I'm humbly coming before you. And the picture here is what you've seen in the, in the Middle East, of people actually bowing before God on their faces. David says, that's my attitude. When I come before you, I humbly bow myself toward your holy presence. And I reverence you. If there's a good place to start in prayer, it's right there. <laughs> every day to just humble ourselves and reverence this holy God, to bow our hearts before Him. And then the, the cry to lead me in your righteousness, which acknowledges the fact that I can't live this holy life that you're worthy of apart from your leadership in me. And I'm so glad He's given us the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us, who guides us, who helps us to walk in righteousness. Walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out what? The deeds, the desires of the flesh. And so we've got to have that heart when we pray to God. Even in the morning, we've got to have this humble, gracious heart before Him that says, Lord, apart from You, this life just can't be lived. This relationship can't be entered into. And certainly my communication with You couldn't exist apart from Your enabling my heart to be right so that the communication would be good. And then... Um, We'll quickly go down to verse 11, verse 12. It says, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, and may you shelter them, that those who love your name may exalt you. For it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord. You surround him with favor as with a shield. David was pressed by enemies. And I always like the way David writes. Uh, it's always so personal. You know, when he wrote Psalm 23, uh, he was a shepherd, but how did he describe God? As his shepherd. Here he says, I need protection. 
And so how he, does he describe God? You're my refuge. You are my shield. And I think God is honored when we take life circumstances and in prayer, we verbalize back to him what he is to us. If you're a businessman, <laughs> Lord, you're my, you're my administrator. If you're a, a housewife, Lord, you're my domestic engineer. <laughs> you know how to make things run. David was always doing that. And so in this setting, he said, Lord, your, your favor <clears throat> is like a, a shield about me. David was very familiar with shields. He used them in battle. He knew the protection. And so he took ordinary things, objects, experiences in his life, and he turned those around in adoration to a holy God. We can do that, can't we? We can take something that's very ordinary, a part of our lives, and we can turn it right around to just exalt God. What are you? Well, I'm retired now. <laughs> okay? God is the one who sustains us. Amen? Think back maybe to when you were working. What did you do? Were you a student? Were you ever a student? So what is God? He is our teacher and the one who loves us. What are some other jobs you had? Somebody just mentioned a job you had. Nursing. Okay, nursing. God, you are my healer. You are the one who touches my life when there's a physical need or when others have physical need. A secretary. Lord, you're the one who is my helper. Lord, you're the one who uh, keeps me on track every day. <laughs> and you can almost look at any aspect of your life and using your experience and your knowledge in that realm, you can turn it around to praise to God and adoration to God. And that's how this morning psalm began and ended in David's life. Humbly before God, not presuming that God would just welcome him in. Acknowledging God's power, God's holiness, and then praising him even based on what he was experiencing and what his needs were. And we can do the very same thing in our prayers. Now, I want you not just to hear this today, but to take it home and do it. Okay? Now, I'm going to close <coughs> by just underscoring the last part, which is the middle of this uh, psalm. In uh, verse 4, again, I'm, and I'm going to read on 4 through 6, it says, You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the men of bloodshed and deceit. Then verses 9 and 10. There is nothing reliable in what they say. Their inward part is destruction itself. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Hold them guilty, O God. By their own devices, let them fall. In the multitude of their transgressions, thrust them out, for they are rebellious against you. Who does that sound like in the New Testament? Weren't there a couple of brothers who sounded sort of like that when some people rejected Jesus? What were they called by Jesus? Sons of thunder. Exactly. And that passion to pray an imprecatory prayer, and that's, that's what you call that when you pray a, uh, almost a curse upon somebody or asking God to bring judgment on someone. 
It comes out of this tremendous love relationship you have with God. And when you see some people who are standing against him, who are enemies to the truth of God, something just rises up within godly men like David or the disciples of Jesus that says, God, I want you to just smash them. And they do that because they're motivated out of love for God. Now, how should we handle that part of this prayer? God would just smash the Taliban. We want to pray that way. Jesus taught us to pray a little differently. He taught us to pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. Praying for their salvation. Targeting perhaps prayer that God would touch their hearts and bring them to repentance and change. And yet, there is a mighty God who holds people accountable. We don't have to. In that God does. And I appreciate our governments. I appreciate others. And that they carry out that kind of judgment over the wicked, over enemies of the faith. And we want to pray for our government. That they be able to do that judiciously. And as God would direct them and lead them to do so. Interesting psalm today, isn't it? We go from humble praise to imprecatory prayer calling down God's curses on his enemies. Now, if we had somebody that was knocking on our doors wanting to kill us, how would we pray? If we had somebody who'd murdered our child, how would we pray? Dell and Beth have been a great example to me and that they've gone through that type of attack and persecution with, can I share this? With somebody murdering their son. They have his dog, which was a miracle in itself in the dog being found and returned. But every day there's a reminder to them that there was an enemy out there that killed their son. And many of you know they recently went to the trial of this man who was found guilty. So, how do you pray for an enemy? Well, I've heard them pray graciously for the salvation of this man. And only by the power of God can that happen. Most of us want to be just like David. Man, just smash him, wipe him out. But Jesus brings a graciousness into our lives that's just as powerful in trusting God to bring and demonstrate His wrath as it's needed to bring people to repentance. I think He calls us certainly to recognize enemies for who they are and turn them over to Him. At the same time, pray very lovingly like Jesus taught us to that God would touch and change and redeem a soul that's lost because how many of us here are sinners? How many of us have been angry in our hearts and murdered somebody in our minds? I pastored for years and Reuben, I dealt with a, a several people, some precious, I had a precious senior adult lady and she walked into my office and told me the best thing that could happen to our church is for so-and-so to die. Oh. 
I had to temper her a little bit. <laughs> we often find ourselves there, don't we? And oh, how we need the love of Jesus to so fill us that we can, we can pray like we're taught in Scripture. Humbly, repentantly, trusting God to do the big works that need to happen that deliver us from sin and knowing that he can hold our enemies accountable. You know that God can hold the Taliban accountable? God can hold the people in the United States who are persecuting Christians accountable. And probably we'll go through some of that corporately as he brings judgment, remedial judgment, the kind of discipline that pushes us toward repentance. We'll go through some of that perhaps with our nation as we pray for revival. Thanks for letting me share with you today uh, some of what was in David's heart as he prayed this psalm. And uh, let's pray together. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. Such a powerful name. And, and Father, we thank you for men like David and the fact that they recorded their prayers even so that they could be sung anew or prayed anew to you. And Lord, I thank you for the examples that they set for us. And I just pray that you would help us to be humble. Help us to acknowledge you as the one true God. Help us, Lord, to see you as, as holy and righteous and actually walk with you and experience you and trust you, even when enemies are knocking on our door. When we find ourselves in circumstances that are so hard, Lord, and we groan within and we cry for help, Lord, thank you that you're there. And we just praise you for being our refuge. Thank you for being our shield. Thank you for being our fortress today, still, in this land where we really are blessed. Lord, thank you for showing us how to apply this in our lives tomorrow morning when we get up to have this kind of prayer as a morning prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close by singing. Ready? Maybe without looking. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to thee and eagerly watch Psalm 5, verse 3. Very good.